All right. Well, if you have a Bible, if you'd open up to Mark chapter 5, I think I'm going to go on with Mark a little further here. Mark chapter 5. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Mark 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, and neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice, saying, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there were there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus allowed him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you, and has had compassion on you. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. So the last time we ended Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples had just made it through a violent storm on the Sea of Galilee. That's where we ended. And here in Mark 5, they come up with just as violent a storm, except this time it's inside this man. These demons inside this demon-possessed man, just as violent a storm. And stilling the storm on the lake or on the sea and stilling the storm within this man, both are what? What do we see through that, we see the display of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we not? I mean, that's something we can just be like, wow, see his power. But it's also what? It's also a great display of his mercy. And we can't forget that. Look in verse 19 again that we just read. He tells him, he says, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. So going back to that storm on the Sea of Galilee, so some of those disciples in that boat, they were experienced sailors. And they knew the way that storm was coming in there and how that ship was filling up. They knew they were headed to the bottom of that lake. That's where they were headed, and they knew it. And so here they are. All of a sudden, he stands up and he commands, does the impossible. 
commands that storm to just, it just stops immediately. And it's like glass and the wind ceases. They're in awe of that power, but they had to also be impressed with the mercy he had shown them because they knew they were gone. They knew they were going to perish. And when you read Psalm 107 where it talks about sailors that experienced great storms at sea, and it says just like the disciples, they were at their wit's end. What are we going to do? We're at our wit's end. It said that they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. And what's the response it talks about in 107? Does it say they just yawn and like, well, just another day on the ocean? No, that's not what it says. It says they are glad because they, the winds and the waves, be quiet. So he brings them in to their desired haven. And the psalmist adds this. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works unto the children of men. Because we serve a great God that is very loving and merciful, is he not? I mean, that's the God we serve. And so we've heard a lot of testimonies lately, even heard one tonight. We've been hearing a lot of testimonies about people being in dangerous situations, driving their cars, right? And how God has granted them deliverance. And as it says, brought them to their desired haven. He didn't end up having a wreck. And so right now, guess what's approaching? Winter. And so how many times, I mean, it's happened to me several times, you're on the ice and all of a sudden you're doing a pirouette in your car, totally out of control. And what do you do when that happens? We should know. What do we do here in this church when we're pirouetting on ice out of control? What do we say? Thank you. I'm glad everybody didn't say help. No, we don't say help. I didn't say help. I'm like the blood of Jesus. And does it work? Oh, man, there we go right there. Come to church, don't we? got our hand up and we proclaim how great things the Lord has done for us and had compassion on us because we were headed right in the wrong way in oncoming traffic. Next thing you know, bam, everything's fine. Praise God. He had compassion on us, right? And that's the way it works. So we look at this account here in the, of the Gadarene demoniac. When you read this story, you're kind of reading something that seems about as far removed as anything we experience today because how many of you ever go to a graveyard right and all of a sudden from a graveyard here comes some crazy guy running at you with no clothes on and blood all over him because he's been cutting himself it just doesn't happen does it now we'll say this when we went to Boston there is a church across from the Boston Commons one of the oldest churches around and there's a graveyard behind that and I'm telling you, it was about the creepiest thing I've ever seen, the way the grave, the tombstones look. And there is a guy there sitting. He wasn't the gathering demoniac, but I think he might have had a few demons. And he was, uh, this guy had the book of Jeremiah memorized. And he's sitting there with his long black beard quoting the book of Jeremiah, pronouncing judgment on America. <laughs> so I guess that's about as close as we're going to get to the gathering demoniac in this day and age, right? But anyways, but the thing is, we don't think of that much, and especially here in America, because somebody starts acting a little too crazy, and they get drugged up pretty quick and brought back to normal. Now, in other places, it's not quite that way. But the thing is, we have a lot more in common with this guy than we realize, and we'll look at that. So we're going to look at this story under three headings, and the first thing we're going to see is his captivity or being enslaved. The second thing we're going to see is his deliverance, and the third thing we're going to see is the response. And so we'll look first at the captivity. Now Mark, in his account, and this is true with a lot of Mark's accounts, even though it's a lot shorter gospel than the other 
four. But when he tells a story, he usually will give more graphic details, and it generally will be longer than the other ones, than what are the synoptic gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are known as the synoptic gospels. They have a lot of the same stories in them. And so Mark's account is 20 verses. Matthew's is much shorter. It's only six verses. And the other difference is, you can read this on your own sometime, but in Matthew's account, Mark and Luke have one demoniac. How many does Matthew have? He talks about two. So they don't contradict each other. It's a lot of times it's like, you know, you said, oh, I saw Joe. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And Joe had his wife with him. He just didn't happen to mention his wife. It wasn't part of what you wanted to talk about. So two of the Gospels, they focus in on this one demoniac. But when you read Matthew's account, it's a lot shorter, but it speaks. There's two of those guys there, not just one. So if you ever look at the way this guy lived, if you ever think about what we just read, it is one of the most pitiful accounts of a life that has ever been given. And so it says in verse 2 that Jesus, he's in that ship, he's gotten through the storm, he comes to the shore and gets out of the ship, and it says that there met him out of the tombs, it says a man with an unclean spirit. And we, I taught, I taught this. I'm not going to teach it exactly like I did tonight, like I did, but it was back in the summer. I just thought there's some other things I want to say. Back in the summer, we said that an unclean spirit doesn't mean he's dirty, even though this guy probably was, right? He probably was. But apparently, when you look at the New Testament and you just do a reference, cross reference on unclean spirits, they are tormenting spirits, and they manifest in different ways. So, for instance, you have the Syrophoenician woman, and she comes to Jesus, and it says she had, her little girl had an unclean spirit. And it doesn't say, when you read the accounts, it's in two accounts, it doesn't say specifically how that unclean spirit manifested itself. But we know this much. That spirit was tormenting that little girl because her mother asked Jesus, he, she doesn't just ask, she begs, and she says in the King James, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Grievously vexed. And some translations will translate that severely oppressed or cruelly demon-possessed. So whatever that demon was doing to that girl, it was breaking that mother's heart. It wasn't good. Vexing that little girl. In Mark 9... We know that account, we're pretty familiar with that account, the man that has the boy that has the epileptic seizures. What does it say? Well, it says that boy had a deaf and dumb spirit, right? But it says in Luke 9, 42, that Jesus cast out an unclean spirit. So that unclean spirit there, it manifested in that boy by making him deaf and dumb, was one way. It also, it says, it convulsed him with those epileptic seizures. And it said it was hard to get rid of that thing. And when it came out of that boy, when that spirit would take over and finally release him, it said it bruised him. So we get this idea with these unclean spirits, the way the Bible talks about them, they are tormenting spirits, vexing spirits. And that spirit also tried to kill him. Because the Father said, oft times it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. And that's what these spirits are. They're not our friends. Not our friends. In Luke 6, it talks of the multitudes that they came to hear Jesus, it says, and to be healed of their diseases. And it also says they that were vexed, troubled, tormented with unclean spirits came to him and were healed. So this is 
You know, it's a lot more widespread than we might think. And there's a lot of people that are vexed and tormented with spirits. We may not see all of them. And like I said, a lot of them are just doped up. And those drugs affect that part of the brain so they appear normal. Believe me, I'm talking from, I know this is the way it works. I'm not wondering about that. So I'm sure all, I would think all demonic spirits are unclean. But it seems that the ones mentioned in the New Testament that are specifically called unclean are those that torment, trouble, and vex their victims. And so here we see the guy here. This is clearly the case here, isn't it? That this man is being vexed and tormented. Look in verse 5. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. I mean, if that's not torment, I don't know what would be. This guy is clearly being tormented right here. And Luke talks about him and describing his conditions. He said this man had been in this condition for a long time. And he didn't wear any clothes. And Luke says he didn't live in a home. He didn't live in a home like you and me. No, he lived in the tombs. So they would take these caves and they would cut out of these rocks. And they would have people buried in there and there would be some space left for the rest of the family that's going to be buried. And this guy's living here. It's giving him a little protection from the weather for these two guys, really, right? That's not much of a home, though. And that's where he's living. And he's a terror to himself, isn't he? We just read that. He's a terror to himself, crying and mutilating himself, but he's also a terror to other people. And look what it says in verses 3 and 4. It says he had, no dwell he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him. No, not with chains, because he had been often bound with feathers and chains, fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. And it says it again, neither could any man tame him. Twice it says there that no man could bind this man or tame him because he had what? Supernatural strength, demonic supernatural strength with a legion of demons in him. Nobody could mess with him. He's like the man in Acts 19. The seven sons of Sikiva, they tried to deliver him, imitate what Paul did. And here's what it says. The man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. It's apparent an unclean spirit likes to have people naked and wounded. He did it to that guy here in Mark 5 and he does it to the seven sons of Sceva, right? You ever think about that? An unclean spirit likes people naked? I mean, what does that say is going on in America? And it's the first thing that happens when the guy comes back in his right mind is what does he do? Puts clothes on. So what does that tell you about people that don't wear clothes? Or wear clothes that are revealing? There's maybe something wrong with their mind. I don't know. I mean, that's just what the Bible says, I guess, right? Well, anyways, so here's the thing, though. We think that is something that had just happened way back then or whatever. I'm telling you, I've seen it in prison. I've seen it in other places, this supernatural strength that takes place. Because they got these guys in prison, when these demons come in them on this segregation walk, what they'll do with them is they don't just leave them, even though they're in a cell, they don't leave them in that cell. They put them in a special cell that's sealed off. They got this little slit about that big is all they have between them and the rest of the world in there. And that's where they get their air, and that's where they slip them some food, and they have to have a guy sitting there watching them 24 hours a day so they don't kill themselves. Because that's what those spirits in them are trying to get them to do. Kill themselves and hurt others and hurt themselves. 
And so the devil is alive and well on planet Earth, I'm telling you. All right? So in Matthew's account, we're saying this guy is a terror to others. In Matthew's account, it says that when Jesus came to the shore, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. And it says this about him. They were exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. So apparently there was a road that went by those tombs and no one could use it. And you had to tell your kids, hey, don't you go on that path there. You stay as far away from those two guys as you can, right? And you could see some guys like, man, that's the shortest route to my house, though. It's going to take me an hour longer to walk the other way to get home. And so you can see you're walking along that road. And as you get close, you can hear them crying in the distance, crying night and day. And the closer you get, the louder that crying gets, right? And you're hoping, man, maybe I can just slip by these guys and one of them won't see me. All of a sudden, bam, he sees you, and he's coming running at you. That's what it's saying, running at you, looking fierce with no clothes, that wild look in his eye. And, man, if it was me, I'd be like, I'm taking the long route. An hour's walk would probably do me good. Might lose a few pounds, right? That's the way it would be. So here, you think about Listen to the description the Bible is giving of this man. He's exceeding fierce, wore no clothes. No man could tame him. And the picture you get is more of a wild beast than a man, isn't it? So where it says there in verse 4, at the end of verse 4, that neither could any man tame him, that word tame there is the word for taming a beast. They're saying they couldn't even tame him. He's worse than a beast, worse than an animal, living like an animal. So the man is dehumanized. He's hopeless, totally vexed by these tormented spirits. And the Bible has a word for that condition. Do you know what it's called? Being alienated. Alienated from God, from the life of God. Cut off from God. That's what this man, and he's at the mercy of the devil who has no mercy, does he? <laughs> so this is just the extreme picture of humanity that is cut off from God. Crying night and day, cutting himself. The devils give him no rest, do they? No rest and no peace. Because... Look at what we're looking at here. He's dehumanized. He's worse than an animal. And man, think about man was originally made in the image of God. Man was made how? With dignity and grace. That's how God made him, the crown of creation. The Bible says that God made man and crowned him with glory and honor. And God made man to have dominion over the works of his hands. It says he put all things under his feet. And so look what the devil's done to this man. The devil has no right to come in and possess a human being created in God's image, except, why? Because man has given in to sin and given in to the devil's rule. All of humanity has become subject to Satan and his control. Don't we know that, right? Now, everybody's not demon-possessed, are they? Not to this extent, for sure, but all are under his control. And so the devil is called what? He's called the God of this world. Jesus said in the Gospel of John that he is the prince of this world, right? And 1 John tells us that the whole world lies in the wicked one, in his bosom. And Satan hates God, perfectly hates him, right? And he hates his creation. So here's the thing. He can't touch God. He can't touch him at all. But what can he touch? He can touch us. And so what's his one goal? It's to mar 
God's creation, especially those that are made in his image. So what we're seeing here is the extreme manifestation of that. So what's true here is true of all of humanity to one degree or another is what we're seeing here. So if you would turn, put something there in Mark and turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, Caleb went through this some last week. And I want to look at these first two verses again in light of what we're talking about. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and it says, And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And Caleb mentioned this, but it's true. He said we were dead, and there are no degrees of deadness. Dead is dead. That's all of humanity, all of us, before you come to Christ. We were dead, right? Walking, the walking dead. You know, people like that show. That's a good way to pick up a spirit. I got these guys come in my prison thing, and they're like, yeah, we watched The Walking Dead last night. I'm like, God, would you guys please leave that show alone and go through deliverance yourselves, right? Not a good show. But that's what men are, in a sense, the walking dead. Living, it says here in verse 2, according to the course of this world, according to... To whom? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that does what? It now works. That means it energizes. He works in. He's what influences, gives energy to the sons of disobedience. That's everybody. Everybody energizes, enslaves them. And so we see that with our children, right? We don't have to teach our children to lie, do we? What we have to teach them is to tell the truth. Because we're born enslaved to the devil, right? We don't have to teach our children to steal. We have to teach them to be content with what they have. You don't have to teach your children to fight. They have to teach them to be peacemakers, right? Because it's that influence of that spirit, that nature. And our, the father of everyone that is born into this world, whose father do we have then at that point? The devil, he is the spirit that is at work. So like I said, everybody's not demon-possessed, but everybody is enslaved to sin. So why does God, getting back to Mark 5, why does he give us this account? Why does he give us this man in this extreme condition, about as debased as you're going to get? Why does he give us this extreme account, this extreme story? So you're not going to find a worst-case scenario. And the reason is, is so you can't say, well, you know, if it was a less case or a mild case, or just a lying spirit occasionally got delivered. No, then you could look at that maybe and say, well, wait a minute, that's nice, that guy got delivered, but he's not as bad as I am. No, no one could look at that case and say they have a worse case than him. It's as bad as it gets. And he's showing, hey, Jesus has dominion over this. So he can take care of any problem that we have, any spiritual demonic problem we have. So he can take care of your lust. If you're battling a spirit of lust, your anger, your son that's on drugs, your rebellious teenager, you're suffering from depression, like I can't get shed of it. Listen, Jesus can take care of that. If he can take care of this man, he can take care of that. Your anxiety, your fears, whatever it is, however it is that the devil's tormenting you or influencing you or maybe possessing you, the Lord Jesus Christ, we sang the song, he can break that chain. He's already done it, and he will do it. So listen, we're constantly, 
Didn't we talk about this in Ephesians 6? Constantly in wrestling matches with spiritual forces, aren't we? The powers of darkness. We wrestle not, it says, against flesh and blood. And so if we're wrestling for ourselves, or sometimes we're wrestling for other people, right? We have to know something, and we can know it from this account. If we're in union with the Lord Jesus Christ and have his spirit in us, we will prevail over any demonic force that we're wrestling with. Amen? Amen. We will prevail. And that brings us to the second point, the deliverance. The deliverance that takes place here. So this man, it says he's fierce and full of demons. When he comes running to Jesus out of the tombs, the demons in him immediately recognize who Jesus is, and they realize they have met their match. <laughs> they have met their match. Look in verses 6 and 7. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried. The demons through him cried with a loud voice, saying, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I abjure thee that thou torment me not. For Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of that man, thou unclean spirit. So the devils, so at the end of that, the, the, the disciples are asking after that storm, and see, who is this man? I'll tell you what, the devils knew who he was. They weren't wondering. They're informing all of us, the disciples, everybody, who this man is, right? And they know they're subject to him. And they're begging him, don't send us into the abyss. Don't torment us. Because some spirits are there now in chains of darkness. It tells us that in June 6. They're waiting for the judgment of that day. These spirits, they're saying, please don't send us there. We want to be able to roam this earth and we want to find rest in a body. That's what it says in the Bible. They find rest in a body. They don't want to be tormented before their time. And so this spirit here, he must have been a strong spirit, this spirit that controlled this man. He wouldn't immediately come out at Jesus' command. And I've heard on tape a man taking someone through deliverance, and those spirits did not come out immediately. And he had to ask, who is the doorkeeper here? It was a spirit of fear that, that spoke up, that they were the doorkeeper. And when that spirit went, guess what? The rest of them went. And what's interesting is there was another woman that was sitting by there that had been delivered and a spirit went into her that took place there. I thought that was odd. But she was fully delivered. All of them were fully delivered. And when this one woman with this spirit of fear, she is the most meek, quiet woman you would ever want to hear. And she's just like, well, I'm afraid to go out of my house and I'm afraid to do this and all that. But I'm telling you, when hands were laid on her and it wasn't shouting and commanding and all that, it's just you have to go. That woman's whole voice changed. And when the deliverance finally took place, it sounds like there is multitudes coming out of her, just like you would see here. That doorkeeper, I'm sure she was filled with spirits. But that's what happens. That's what happened. Strong spirit. He gave his name. He said, my name is Legion. So a legion was about 6,000 men in the Roman army. So it's not saying there's 6,000 demons in this guy. It's just saying there's a lot of them. For we are many is what it says, right? <laughs> the legion was the doorkeeper, like I said. And when he went, all the others went in him. And that's something we need to remember. If we ever pray for somebody or our children maybe at some point, we don't know. Somebody that we end up praying for. Well, what's interesting is, look in verse 10. That spirit asked to stay in that country. And he besought him, the spirit besought Jesus. So, you know, these spirits are intelligent beings we're dealing with. 
They have names, they have intelligence, they can be commanded. We need to remember that. It's not just some weird, this person is just acting weird. No, there's a spirit there, an intelligent being in them that needs to come out. But look in verse 10. And he that spirit besought Jesus much that he would not send them away out of the country. Isn't that odd? Because I think he wanted to stay around that locale. You know why? That's a Gentile, godless area right there. <laughs> we'll see later what happens to them all. And he's thinking, man, if they're going to cast me out of this guy. I'll, we'll find some other people here. There's good pickings around here. Just don't send us out of this country, which I thought was kind of funny. He wants to stay in that country. So they knew Jesus wasn't going to send them in another man, would he? Jesus wouldn't do that, delivering this guy. So they say, hey, can you just send us in those pigs over there? Send us in that herd of swine. And the demons, they left that guy, just like I said it sounded like on that tape, they left him like a swarm of bats. You ever seen a swarm of bats? I have. One time I was cleaning behind these shutters, all these bats were behind there, I'm spraying, getting this house, and they just come pouring out of there. I'm up on an extension ladder, I got bats flying at me, I'm losing it. I'm trying to back down with my spray gun like that, and these bats are coming at me, and they're laying on my ladder rung, and I'm like, oh man, it's nasty. Well, that's what these demons are like, like a swarm of bats. They come out of this guy and go into those pigs, 2,000 of them, go racing down that cliff. And they drowned. It says they choked on the water. But why? You think about that, too. That's a picture that's presented to this man that had been possessed and these people with, that are taking care of these pigs and the disciples that are there with Jesus. They're getting a picture painted, aren't they? Seeing what would happen, that this word, this word of power coming from the Lord Jesus Christ sent these invisible, unclean, evil, powerful spirits from this man into that swine. Because all they're seeing is one man acting crazy, and they realize, wait a minute, out of that one man comes this legion, and they're seeing the effects of that by 2,000 swine. Not just one pig, like one 2,000 swine those demons enter into. And they see the power where these swine, they can't resist like a man. They violently, it says, they're acting crazy. That's the power of these spirits these people are seeing. They violently are running down that cliff. And then you also see the intention of the demon, that unclean spirit. Like we said earlier, that man says, this, this demon in my little boy trying to destroy him many times he's throwing him in fire trying to throw him in water to drown him and here these spirits are trying to get this guy to cut himself and mutilate himself and now they see in these pigs he they that's their all they're out to do is to destroy God's creation we know that from John 10 the thief comes not but for to kill steal and destroy but the power of the Lord Jesus Christ hey some people have a problem with the fact that he killed these pigs. So what's of more value? These pigs? They're on Jewish land. The Gentiles, they're not supposed to have these pigs on that land. They aren't. They're feeding the Roman army with it. And he didn't tell them to go there. He gave permission to them. That's what he said. Gave permission. Well, let me ask you something. How was Jesus able to perform this miracle? How was he able to do that? Because the Bible tells us, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, and look what it says there, Matthew 12 in verses 25 to 28. 
And Jesus tells us, he says, every kingdom, Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. He says, if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself, and how shall then his kingdom stand? And he says, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Now look what he says in verse 28. But if I cast out devils by, how does he say? The Spirit of God. Then he says, the kingdom of God has come. Has come unto you, is what he says. In Luke, he says, if I by the finger of God cast out devils. So one thing we need to remember here, he's saying he cast those spirits out by the Spirit of God. And so all of this isn't taking place. Now listen, it is taking place for the benefit of this man. Because Jesus told him, hey, God has had compassion on you. That is very much a part of this story, right? But that's not all of this story. Why is this taking place? And why is this written down for us? So just go back a couple chapters, or back to Mark, please, and Mark we were in five. If you would just look back a couple chapters from Mark 5, and I want to remind us about something we talked about back in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Why is this story written? Why is this taking place in front of his disciples? And look what it says in Mark. Did I say two? I meant three. I got it written down wrong on my notes, but it's Mark 3, verses 14 and 15. Mark 3, verses 14 and 15, it says Jesus ordained 12. Why did he do it? Here's that, that word again, y'all. That is a purpose word. He ordained 12, and here's the purpose, that they should what? Be with him, and another purpose, so he wants them to be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to do what else? Cast out demons. So he wants them to be with him. Why? So they can watch him and see what he does so that they can go out and do the same thing. Isn't that what it says? That's what's going on there. So, as Dr. Ware stated when he came here, Jesus walked this earth in his full humanity and he was dependent on the Holy Spirit to perform his miracles and healings just like we are is what it says. And the same Holy Spirit that Jesus possessed is in us and wants to perform the same works that Jesus did. And I would say, respectfully, it didn't stop with Jesus. It didn't stop with the apostles. It didn't stop with the early church. It continues on today for as long as the church exists. If nothing else, we have the gifts of the Spirit. We may as well, if we're going to hold to the thing that it stopped back then, then let's just rip out 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. One of the gifts is discerning of spirits. What's the point in discerning a spirit if you can't cast it out? So I do say that respectfully because, anyways. So turn, if you would, to John 14. I want us to look at this. John 14. John 14. Now the whole context of John 14 is the coming of the Holy Spirit after Jesus leaves. <laughs> right? 14, 15, and 16, that's what it's all about. I need to leave. I'll send another comforter, not another similar to me. It's going to be me, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit's called. That's what we have in Romans 8. But John 14, 12 through 14, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Is that any believer? 
I don't see a time frame put in there. The works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So look, forget about the greater works. Just leave that for another day. Well, let's just look at what the first part of what he says there. He says in verse 12, he says, The works that I do shall he do also. It implies we can at least do what he did. We can at least cast out spirits. Amen. So here's the thing. Clearly, the works that Jesus did and the miracles he performed were to show his deity, to point to his lordship and deity. And it's not ever changed. When we do it, it's the same purpose. The purpose has never changed. This generation needs to see that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and is the risen Lord that still is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just like that generation needed to see it. But we here are his hands, his feet, his body. To demonstrate that, the word always needs to be confirmed with signs following Right? Because then otherwise, what's the difference between Allah and the Lord Jesus Christ? If it's just that we're just going to debate about words, it's a debate of power. Our God is alive. And so here's the thing. We don't lay hands on the sick and we don't cast out demons in our name, do we? Or no name, do we? We don't do that. We do it in what? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? It's for his honor. It's for his glory, and like I said, to show that he is the risen Christ. That's why we do that. So when Peter healed the lame man in Acts 3, for instance, right? He said this, they all gather around. Here's this man been sitting there forever, lame, a long time. Nothing said, Jesus would have had to walk by him. But this was his day. This is when God anointed Peter and John. And what does Peter answer? He says, don't look on us like we're something special. There's nothing special about us. As though he says, by our own power or holiness, we had made this man to walk. You know what he told them? This is why this happened. He says, God has glorified his son, Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. That's what that miracle pointed to. That's what they're preaching. The risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, this right here proves that he's risen. This man's walking. Because he went on to say, hey, it only happened because of the Spirit in us and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Peter said, his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him, through him, Jesus, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And that's what's taken place. When someone is delivered of a spirit because we practice Mark 16, the glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing in us could deliver anybody. It's because his spirit dwells in us, right? And through his name and authority that he has given us. (laughs) So there's a progression in the Lord Jesus Christ giving his power and authority to his disciples. And if you can just bear with me and let's just look at this real quick. So back in Mark 6 verse 7 we'll just turn to four places here quickly so mark 6 7 it says this and jesus called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and what did he give them 
power. That means authority over. Here they are again, those unclean spirits, those tormenting, vexing spirits. So he goes from the 12, and then if you'll turn to Luke 10, it goes from the 12, and it goes to the 70. Well, these aren't the 12. These are just regular disciples like us. Luke 10, verse 1, And after these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place, whether himself would come. Now, it doesn't specifically say he gave them authority over demons, but he must have, because when we read over in verse 17, when they come back to give him a report, look what it says, verse 17, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us, not because of who we are, but through thy name. And he said unto them, Well, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And behold, he says, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, and they were. But rather, he says, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So we got it from the 12, we got it to the 70, and after his resurrection, if you'll turn back to Mark 16, he got it to every believer. Every believer. Mark 16, and I could have quoted it, but let's read it. Mark 16, 15, and it says, And Jesus said unto them, Go you into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believe not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Is that all of us in here? It is. In my name, what's the first thing we can do in his name? They shall cast out devils. And the second thing, boy, this is important, and they shall speak with new tongues. That sign is supposed to follow them that believe. I didn't write it. Now, there's people that are wanting to take this section out of Mark, and we will talk about that. I, had to, I, I studied that in school using their little methods, and I'm like, they, don't, they should never say this should never be taken out by their criteria. It should be in there big time, in my opinion. So a lot of versions don't include this now, or they'll take it out, or, or they'll put a footnote or whatever. It should be in there. They'll speak with new tongues. And I can see why they wouldn't want this in there. And they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands. I love this. This has worked for me for 30 years. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. It's too late to take it out. I ain't taking it out of my version. Ain't. That's a good word, isn't it? All right. And the last place I want to see here. So we move on in. Let's go to Acts 8, the last place. So we've got Philip. We call him Philip the Evangelist. I don't know if Philip knew he was evangelist until he made it to Samaria, and maybe then he realized, hey, I think I got an anointing to do something here. But he's just a, he's a deacon. This is Terry Murphy. Terry Murphy goes over to Slago. <laughs> Enters in there and gets anointed to preach. The deacon, or James, doing the same thing. So we have here Acts 8, verse 5, and it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And look what the first miracle they talk about is, verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed. 
with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Great joy in that city. Praise God. Well, that's what it says. Many unclean spirits. There must be a lot of them around. Possessing people. Hey, I think they're around all over the place. And so we got to believe something. We have to believe something here as a church. Need to take what we're doing seriously as Christians, right? So we got to believe what we talked about Sunday is true for us and it's true for others that we minister unto. And you know what that is? The all-important verse 2 of Romans 8, that the law, the power, the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which was in us, has set us free from the power or the law of sin and death, from the devil's domain. We have to believe that. And however he's trying to get at it. So we should no longer have to say like the gathering, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And I guarantee you that gathering demoniac said that many times or thought it. I guarantee it. This is, this is no life. I mean, he had to have, be able to think something at some point. Cried that many times. But look, then the Lord Jesus Christ came in, came into where he was. Right? And the life of the Spirit set him free from those chains. That torment, right? That slavery to those unclean, tormenting, vexing spirits. So listen, we can set ourselves free by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would say as God leads, we can set others free. We can't just go out there in empty mental hospitals. Go ahead and try and see if it works for you. Right? It's not quite like that. As God leads. But as he leads, we have to know we have the authority. And so he brings somebody across your path that you talk to, a neighbor, somebody at work. And as you talk to them and get to know them, they start telling you about all oh, like that woman. I've got all these fears. I'm afraid to leave my house. And maybe that's God opening a door to where you'll be the one to get a minister to her. And you'll say, are you a Christian? Yeah. Well, here, explain to her. Maybe you'll be the one to get a pray for her. You're like, I don't want to have to see all these demons screaming, leaving. Well, I'll know, no one says you will. Maybe you won't. God won't give you more than you can handle, but maybe you will. But we have to know that we have that power and authority, right? We really do. <laughs> so the one that's stronger than the strong man has come, and he's bound him. That strong man's got those goods. He thought he had that demoniac for the rest of his life, just going to torment him, bringing 2,000 of those demons in him. Uh-uh. The one stronger than the strong man came and loosed him. Amen. Bound the strong man and loosed him. Amen. So we're going to meet people, like I said, with demons that need to be set free, and they're not all going to have a legion. Because in Luke 8, Mary Magdalene, it says she was one of several women that came, and it says they ministered to the Lord of their substance. And when they did that, but it says out of whom Mary Magdalene went seven devils. She only had seven for some reason. And I'd, be, I'd love to know what those seven were. I'd just be curious because it doesn't tell us. Now, I think she was probably an immoral woman. I could guess which one of them was, but I don't know about all seven of them, right? So some of those we also may need to help are professing Christians. So what does it say in Ephesians 4.27? It says, neither give place to the devil. So we know Peter, he makes the great confession. Next thing you know, Jesus is rebuking Satan in him. So a Christian can give place to the devil. 
So as a Christian, you don't control your worry, you don't control your anger. You could need deliverance from a spirit of anger or worry. Or people, and this I'm saying, not thinking of anyone in particular. I just know it's a common problem, and I know things get quiet in here for some reason. But you give yourself over continually to pornography on the Internet, and you will pick up a spirit of lust that drives you, that compels you. And you're saying, oh, wretched man that I am, I don't like what I'm doing, but you just keep doing it. And you ask God to forgive and you keep going. It just may be you're bound with a spirit. Need to repent, first of all, and determine you're done with that once and for all. Cut it off is what Jesus said. That's the way you deal with it. You don't taper off. Repentance means you've forsaken he that confesses his sin and forsakes it, it says in Proverbs 28, 13, that person shall have mercy, right? But deliverance in and of itself is not an easy fix. So if you would also please just turn to Luke 11. Luke 11. So some people, they think, oh, I just get delivered of this spirit. I'm being tormented. And that's all they want is relief. I've met a lot of people like that. It's, it's not, doesn't work that way. So Jesus says this, he's talking about an unclean spirit again, Luke eleven twenty four. he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks through the dry places, and that spirit is what? It's seeking rest. And how does he find rest? And says he's finding none, walking through those dry places, he says, I'll return unto my house, that man from whence I came out. And he comes back, and that person hasn't done anything. They just got relief. And he says he comes back and he finds it swept and garnished. And then he goes and he's going to make it this much harder the next time to get delivered because he takes to him seven other spirits. It says more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. That's their dwelling place. And it says the last state of that man is worse than the first. So I'm saying you want to have deliverance? You're being tormented, you're being vexed by an unclean spirit, and you got issues, you need to make sure there is deep repentance. And then you're committed to doing what every Christian should be doing, and that is getting in the Word daily, communing with the Lord, reading His Word, and also prayer. I was telling somebody on the phone the other day, John G. Lake, he said this. I thought this was interesting. He said, he goes, when I find a man that is having trouble with the Lord and there's no power in his life anymore, he said, I can always pinpoint it to one of three things every single time. He said, number one, they don't get in the word anymore. Their prayer life is non-existent and they quit confessing what God has and is doing in them. He said, every single case, he said, I knew this preacher that when he stood up, the power of God was manifested in his life and things happened and all that. He said, 10 years went by. I hadn't seen the guy. He said, I went to a meeting, heard him preach. He said he was the same man preaching the same message. And he said he wasn't living in sin, but something wasn't there. Something wasn't right. He lacked that power, that anointing. And as he questioned the man, he finds out the guy's not, his prayer life's non-existent. He's not in the word. And that's what all of us need to know. We have got to be in the Word, in prayer, full of the Spirit. Every day we can't afford not to be because we don't know when that phone call is going to come that we need to be in faith. We don't need to be scrambling to try to get in faith because we haven't been living right.
So otherwise, if you don't do that, you get delivered and you don't have that commitment to the word and prayer, you'll be in worse shape than ever. So the thing is, too, one thing I'd like to say is fear is a very strong spirit. And so a lot of fears come on people. And the way to overcome that, you can go through deliverance, but you have got to stay close to the Lord. You've got to stay in prayer if you're overcoming that. And the way fears are overcome is by when you do that and you ask God to help you, deliver you, you stand on his promises and you see his faithfulness to you in a lot of different ways that fear can be overcome because you'll know of his love. And that's what has to happen. It says perfect love will cast out fear. So it's not always necessarily deliverance. It may be. But that is the best way to overcome fear is to be secure in the love of God. And you have these experiences. You know, I know he loves me. I'm in a bad way. It's, I'm, I'm struggling with something. But I can look back. And I'm saying, I know my Heavenly Father, my hand, his hand is on me. My life is right with him. I'm not living in sin. And that's how you'll overcome fears that you have, right? So back to Mark. The last thing we want to look at is the response. And so, you know, <laughs> Mark 5, the end of that chapter. So the reaction to that towns, the townspeople, I think, is rather bizarre because you'd think that they would just be overjoyed. <laughs> this guy they knew since he was a little kid, he was their friend at one time, and then the guy goes crazy, and he's living up there, and no one can go around him. He's fierce, and now he's back to his senses. But look what it says. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and the country. They went out. They go out to see what was done. And they come to Jesus. They see him. They see Jesus. They see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they're afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they begin to pray him to depart out of their coast. So it's saying there in verse 15, they come and they, they look, they come and they stand. They look at Jesus. And they look at the guy that had the legion, and they're like, who is this man that none of us could tame this guy? Couldn't do anything. He'd break the chains. Who is this man that was able to tame him? And it says they're afraid. What powers does he have? They had to be asking themselves. And then it says in verse 16, they look past that, and they're like, where are our pigs? They're all drowned. Their livelihood. And hey, there he touched a button there, didn't he? And next thing you know, verse 17, they want him to go because he's messing with their pocketbooks, isn't he? They're thinking to themselves, all right, he got rid of our pigs. And the next thing he's going to be doing is shutting down our bars. We don't want him hanging around here. And you know what I think is happening? I think these, these people are they're, they're also convicted about their enslavement to sin. Because how many times, and this happens all the time, you'll see a young lady that just, everybody knows she sleeps around with every guy, or you'll see some guy that's, he's hooked on drugs and alcohol, and everybody knows it. I know somebody like that, right? And they get saved, transformed, they're on fire for the Lord. That's all they want to talk about, is what God's done for them and all that. And all of a sudden, their parents and friends aren't happy. They're not, they like, well, we liked you better. At least you weren't abnormal. You kind of fit in society <laughs> doing your drugs or whatever else, right? And what's going on there? Now we got a Jesus freak. That's what they used to call him when I was growing up, a Jesus freak. And so it's like he's convicting me of my loose lifestyle, and I don't have that kind of commitment to God. Like this guy, I just go to church, right? You know, that happened to my brother. You know, I'm, I asked his permission to tell this. So Joel, you know, 
At some point a little while back here, he said the way it worked out is he just drank one or two beers. Maybe this is for somebody in here, I don't know. And he said, next thing you know, he's drinking more. He'd become an alcoholic. Still going to church, still doing whatever. I didn't know that. I didn't know that had happened. And he's down to rock bottom. And God delivered him from that. And I'm telling you, he's excited. Amen. He is. And he'll, talk, he'll tell you. He'll tell anybody in here. He goes around telling everybody. And he'll talk about the Lord with you. He'll talk about the Bible. Me and him didn't have that relationship before. There's been a great change took place in him. Oh, I knew there was something going on. I didn't know that. I had no clue. But I've seen he makes people uncomfortable when he talks about God delivering me from drinking because he's talking to Christians and now they're starting to drink. Yeah. Or social drinking is becoming the big thing. Right? He'll tell you. He'll say, hey, you don't want to get into that. And he's got a testimony. And I'm saying that's what's going on here. Sometimes people are convicted. But hey, this demoniac, what about his response? He's so thrilled. He is so happy. That's all he wants to do. He wants to be with Jesus all the time. And that is a good sign of salvation. You want to be with Jesus all the time. But the Lord gives him a task, doesn't he? He says, I'll tell you what I want you to do, my friend. He says, I want you to be the first missionary to the Gentiles. And that's what he tells him, verse 19. He says, you go home to thy friends and you tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. So he knows something, right? So he knows there are not, everybody's not going to reject him. There are his elect there. There are people that will receive the witness of this man. But the majority of the people, they did what? They came to him, those town people. They said, we want you to leave Jesus. We don't want you here. And guess what? He got in the boat and left, didn't he? That wasn't good wasn't a good thing to do because to their eternal misery they asked him to leave because here's the facts of history in AD 67 Vespasian and Titus two Roman generals they entered that region right there and they came to the city of Gadara which is where these people were from and they massacred every inhabitant of the city and burned it that's what happened didn't respond well. And so we have to ask ourselves, how have we responded to Jesus tonight? Do you want him to leave you alone? He will. He left them alone. He'll get back in the boat and leave. Or, I think this is most of us here, if not all, hopefully all, do we pray for his presence and trusting in his power that he can deliver us from any unclean spirit that's oppressing or harassing us. I mean, for me, I rejoice in the fact that Jesus has me back in my right mind. I haven't gotten over that yet, because I sure wasn't back when I got saved. And listen, we're talking about thanksgiving. Amen. Shouldn't we all be thankful for that? Because there's no unregenerate person. I don't care who you are. You can picture, I picture some of you, I could just picture you in your old days, red-eyed, not looking good at all, not in your right mind. And look what God has done for us. And we got Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow. We should be so thankful. And we should be ready to tell anybody still, after all this time, anybody that will listen, what great things the Lord has done for us and has had compassion on us. Amen? Amen. Well, let's just stop right there. Praise God. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. I just thank you for this account. We can just see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ over any demonic 
force that would come against us. There's no force that can't be overcome by Jesus' power, and he lives in us. And I just ask you'll make this real to us, Lord, and we have this example that you've set, and your word tells us that we have authority over the devil today because of who is in us. Amen. I just ask you'll really make that real. And I just ask, Father, that as a church, you'll cause us to press in, to know you more, to know and to desire to see your gifts manifested here and through us when we gather together. Just ask you that you'll do that. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.